Hi, I'm Shiv. And I'm Chitra. We are the co-hosts of this show, Software People Stories. We are happy to bring you stories of people associated with software as makers or consumers. In every episode, we talk to people on their own personal and professional journeys, their interests and approach to work and life in a free-flowing conversational format. We hope that you will be able to draw your inspiration from their experiences and insights. These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. This episode of the Software People Stories unraveled along several different paths and took surprising turns in ways least anticipated. I am in conversation with Padmaja Narsipur, founder and CEO of Clearly Blue Digital. This conversation honestly felt more like a chat over a cup of chai. Topics ranged from her love for reading to freelancing to becoming an entrepreneur and the happy scary ride as the world veers towards artificial intelligence happy listening hi patruja it's wonderful to have you on the software people stories welcome to our show and i'm really excited about our conversation today hi chitra thanks for having me and lovely to be here looking forward to the conversation thanks thanks so we start by asking guests to introduce themselves so how would you like to introduce yourself Okay. Um. So I'm Padmaja Narsipur, and I head uh, Clearly Blue Digital, which is a content design studio. Um. So if I were to talk about myself, I suppose I should start, uh, you know, way back when, uh, when I was a student, and uh, I contemplated uh, whether I should get into humanities or so-called arts, or whether I should get into the sciences, because honestly, I was more of a Jane Austen type of person uh, than uh, uh, Steve Jobs type of person, uh, but then uh, decided to go into science and uh, did my bachelor's in computer science. Then did a master's in physics, just because there was no master's in computer science around in Bangalore at that time. And uh, then I moved to the US um, in the 90s and uh, found that you know the software industry was booming over there. So I got my master's in computer science there. Spent uh, close to a decade working for uh, tech company in uh, Silicon Valley, and then I came back to India um, mid two thousands and uh, found myself with uh, three kids under the age of three. So I dropped out of the workforce and uh, got into uh, what was my original passion was writing and reading, lots of reading and a little writing. So got into a lot of technical writing mainly because it afforded me the flexibility in uh, hours that I wanted. So I spent almost a decade working as a solopreneur or consultant or freelancer, whatever the term is. I worked for a lot of uh, startups. I worked for a lot of very big companies uh, from Microsoft to SAP to Cisco, um, all on my own. And uh, 2015, uh, I sort of mentally made the shift. Decided that my kids are now old enough for me to spread my wings a little bit, and I started uh, clearly blue soon after. 
So at Clearly Blue, uh, we like to call ourselves uh, content people, but the definition of content has expanded hugely nowadays. It's not just about written content. It's also about visual content, about oral content, about a lot of um, UX and UI. Uh, so we have a team of very talented people who are working in all these spaces. We also work with our customers on content strategy, marketing strategy. We help them with their marketing campaigns, content publishing campaigns. So it really covers the gamut of uh, work uh, when it comes to communication. And uh, learning content is a huge part of what we do also. That's nice. It's so interesting, Bhattacharya. You had, uh, it almost seems like all colors of the rainbow as part of your career. Yeah, yeah. It's been, uh, you know, I look back on it and it wasn't, much of it wasn't planned. But every step of it has been very interesting. You know, you said you took a break mm-hmm. and you got back and then you freelanced for some time. Right. So how was that whole transition like or how, what was that experience like? And are there a couple of things that you can share with people if you were to look back on that time? Um, well, um, you know, this is a phase that uh, most women go through, uh, you know, motherhood. And uh, for me, frankly, I think uh, it was uh, the first time in my life that I confronted the fact that I'm a woman. Basically, because I went from um, college to uh, work and I'd never taken a single day off. So uh, then, you know, there were these little beings totally dependent on me, mainly for uh, uh, nutrition and sustenance. But um, uh, I think it's a phase that most men don't go through. Uh, because, uh, you know, suddenly you are confronted with this uh, break in your career. You are not really uh, using your brains. Um, and the little ones are too little for you to actually have conversations with them or anything as such. So, uh, it is uh, very frankly, it's treachery and it's very lonely. Um, being a mother sitting at home with little children. And uh, so, um, that that... That period was quite traumatic for me, actually. Uh, we had also moved back to India. So I had been away for over a decade and uh, moved to a new city in India, which I was, uh, we moved to Hyderabad. And uh, everything was new for me. Um, so I would say that uh, although I really enjoyed the time with my kids, I was looking for some sort of outlet where I could use my brains. And uh, the fact that the internet afforded me a freelance career came as a lifesaver. Okay, that's nice. That's nice to know. And, uh, you know, very, I always find these, these kind of experiences interesting because each one has a unique story behind them. And I think the more we can tell such stories, it becomes encouraging for other people and in particular women who are listening to it to actually take courage that all is not lost and despite the drudgery, the loneliness and the newness, uh, something will come out of it. So, what was freelancing work like for you? So, so the freedom that freelancing affords is that you can set your own pace and your own schedule. Although once uh, you get going, it's sort of being on a hamster wheel. uh, Because uh, work uh, keeps flooding in. And so, you have to basically make a choice, you know, whether you want to work 5 hours a day or 2 hours a day. So... Freelancing, I think, is a lot of um, self-management, management, time management, I would say. Where you say that, okay, I'm only going to do this much and no more. You don't want to go the other extreme where, you know, you do have real responsibilities at home. 
So you want to be able to balance that. Uh, and the pluses of uh, freelancing are there is no commute. I worked out of my bedroom for a decade. I worked with uh, people in Germany. I worked with people in uh, the US. I worked with a few folks in Korea. All sitting out of my bedroom. Uh, you can do world class work now. Um, so basically, I think those are the two key things. Uh, managing your own time, being very responsible and professional, um, uh, adhering to the deadlines, and also uh, enjoying the flexibility. Nice. Thank you. So if I were to ask you a question about technical writing, what is it that makes, uh, makes for good technical writing? And uh, you know, how can people make a career out of it? You may not like many of my responses, <laughs> but <That's okay. laughs> so um, when I was uh, I was when I was a techie at Intel, um, inevitably our team would have a technical writer with whom I would somehow end up uh, working uh, closely. Um, mainly because uh, when you are in an engineering team, uh, the communication or the um, you know the documentation part of it is not given much importance by the techies. They'd rather pop it off on the technical side. But I totally enjoyed that aspect. And uh, so when I got into freelancing, I found that uh, doing technical writing was quite easy for me because I could understand, I could read code, for example, which many people cannot if you're not a techie. Um, so technical writing as such, uh, you know, started off with uh, when you are in freelance mode, uh, not many big companies will trust you with their core engineering documentation or anything like that. So it started off with writing product manuals, user manuals, things like that. And then once you gain that uh, trust, uh, they are able to share more, uh, uh, what should I say, confidential document uh, documentation so that you can work on technical writing. So I know that uh, the technical writing industry has a lot of uh, you know standards, tools, um, Robo help or this, that, and the other. But at the core of it, I think uh, it should be the technical writer should be a person who understands technology very well, maybe even down to the code level, or at least be able to understand the low level design documentation and then also understand the user very well. Because oftentimes, especially in B2C scenarios, the uh, end user may not be a technical person at all. You might be designing a, a phone for um, senior citizens, for example. So be putting yourself in the user's shoes and then bridging that gap between what the engineering team wants to put out and what the user actually wants is at the core of what the technical writer should do. Are there any examples? I like what you said, keeping the user in mind. We do a lot of design thinking and helping people think through from the customer's perspective in mind. Mm-hmm. Are there any examples that you can share mm-hmm. about how you apply some of those to your technical writing? I would have to think about this actually. Uh, there are tons of examples. I mean, uh, if I could um, cite a recent example, um, through Clearly Blue with my team, uh, we worked on a website uh, for a cybersecurity firm. Uh, so this was not uh, technical writing as such, but this was, um, uh, what should I say, it's probably techno-marketing kind of writing. Uh, basically creating the digital presence of a cybersecurity product company, which is a highly complex, uh, highly technical kind of material for uh, industries like banking and finance, uh, for healthcare, for retail. Uh, these are all at the CXO level. 
but still uh, you have to put yourself in the user's shoes because when you are looking at it um, let's say you are looking at it from the point of view of uh, ciso or sio of a bank you are not really interested about what goes on under the hoods what you are interested is in how the product can help you how it can make your job easier that is uh, number one and uh, number two your the ciso or cio's experience with the product or all the product collateral should be so seamless and user friendly that they should be able to make that shift from being a stranger to actually a customer of the product uh, so this was something i think we achieved quite well it um, took a lot of intensive back and forth between us between our customer who was the cyber security firm uh, their ceo and their uh, top management as well as understanding the space where they operate and understanding what their users do so in some ways blending the mind of the user with the how the product is likely to be used by that user so it has to make sense for both the company as well as the product company as well as the user right correct correct uh, so although our uh, customer in this case was the cyber security firm we really had to put ourselves in the mind space of space of their customer to understand how they will interact with their website and also we built a product collateral for them so how they will interact with their product the dashboards and things like that then make it so i definitely see us having more conversations around these stories especially very curious to understand how a bank security officer would actually relate to this kind of content and collateral and would that perhaps translate to business for the security company and if they choose to adopt what their journey looks like in the future yes, right. so yeah. definitely looking forward yeah. to more of those kind of conversations so uh, you know now you you started clearly blue mm-hmm. how how did that all come together why did you choose the space of you know digital content mm-hmm. and digital media and uh, you know why and how did all of this come together just talking back to my journey like i said uh, 2013 or so i decided that you know it's time to sort of spread my wings and uh, we moved back to bangalore as a family and i always had harbored this uh, notion at the back of my mind that i would get back into corporate because that was a, an area i was familiar with and um, once i came back to bangalore started interviewing reviving my old networks and so on and uh, i joined a company over here Uh, but some of the experience didn't go well maybe it was the fact that i had been a freelancer for far too long i was used to dictating my own hours and um, also there was an element of conservatism in the form i worked with where you know um, clock watching was a habit to work with which didn't gel well with me so um, i sort of made an impulsive decision and you know turned in my resignation within 3 3 weeks i think of joining and uh, Uh, decided that uh, i will create my own space where i can exist and also um, at that time i i had interacted with quite a few other uh, women who had been in the same situation as me very qualified experienced professionals who had taken a career break for various reasons and wanted to uh, they were all looking for a, a workplace where they could flex you know be in clearly blue we provide that opportunity or i would even not like to call it an opportunity i think it should be the norm anywhere it is in many companies but sadly it's not in many companies we have people who leave at like 3 in the afternoon 
and uh, that is completely fine with us mainly because these people are so passionate about the work they do that they log in after the child sleeps at night uh, today i was talking to somebody who finished her whatever we have a project where um, content has to be sent in every day this is for a b2b portal she finished her quota at 6:45 in the morning and she's come in and she's working on something else right now so these people know what they're doing they're able to manage their own time they just are hungry for good work so i wanted to create a workplace like that for myself and for others and it's a journey but i think we are getting there <laughs> <laughs> nice very interesting so um, how important is it for people to have a digital presence today this question may sound a little cliche in the world uh but what i've seen is many people say that they want a digital presence and it somehow stops with the perception of hey i have this website and yes we have a website mm-hmm. and especially the traditional businesses mm-hmm. really are not thinking beyond or perhaps don't know how to think beyond mm-hmm. so how would we engage with companies like that right. that want to have a digital presence <laughs> and what does that look like i would say a website is just hygiene Um, you have to do more than that, especially if you are a business, whether you are B two C or B two B. Mainly because um, if you look at uh, information as a, information as an asset, the paradigm has shifted such that information which used to be in the hands of businesses um, is now in the hands of consumers. So if somebody is going to approach you, um, they will have already. Um, I think the latest statistic is 60% of buyers will have made the uh, buy decision before they approach the salesperson. So having a digital presence is essential, um, and a website is just hygiene. So I have spoken to. We have a lot of almost all our customers are in the B2B space. I have spoken to B2B CEOs who are like, why do we need a web, you know social presence? Why do we need to be on social? Well, because whoever you're talking to, even if they are the CXOs, are going to check you out. They're going to look at what your LinkedIn says. Do you have a company page? Um, things like that. Even before um, they approach you, even before they make the first uh, call or the first e first reach out. Um, so that is the essence of it. Yeah. So in some sense, it's uh, you know customers engage this is trying to influence the customers so as a digital partner with the companies that you work with mm-hmm. how is it that you kind of enable both sides to let's say dance a little better with each other mm-hmm. so that there's you know a win-win situation created on both sides sure um one important thing that we try to convey to our customers uh, is that when you have a digital presence it is not a transactional thing it's not a matter of getting garnering likes or, or, or shares or things like that that is just um that is just not the thing you should aim for because uh, when you are looking at it from the consumer side um, the consumer has so much power in their hands they will look all over the place it's it's you know if you have a linkedin page with like 20000 likes but there are negative reviews about you on some other on glassdoor for example it's just, you know the whole point is lost so for a company that is trying to build their digital presence we help them look through the entire gamut of things we look at how they're managing the communities on for example quora how you are answering questions 
um, how you can build the personal brand of your spokesperson on Quora and the website of course and social of course and also uh, guest posting on different other um, uh, you know journals and uh, blogs uh, all the different other places where people from your particular sector live so it's layers upon layers upon layers and you may think it's never enough but you also need to be sharply focused uh, you you need not do every different kind of social media that's out there you need to identify maybe the two three four different channels where your target persona where those people live and just work in those so that's how we help um, customers on the one side and as far as their users go it's really again about the user experience um, because uh, so many products being on SaaS products nowadays uh, they, there are so many various different touch points where users can learn about your product like I was saying uh, product reviews for example or their interaction with the product itself on the uh, website. We even uh, work with companies where, they where we design their dashboards for them. These are the dashboards that their users will interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. It needs to be just enough for them to make decisions. You, you should not overwhelm the user with a lot of information on the dashboards. So the, the defining the user experience is one part of it and defining the channels and monitoring and moderating the conversations for the our customers is the other part of it. Where does AI play into all of this? Do you have a perspective on that? The, the way you interact with a company or a product or an offering or a solution is slowly beginning to change. Mm -hmm. uh, more often than not, even I find myself chatting with a bot. Right. So where is this headed to and what do you think about? Well, if you watch the movies, it's scary. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, like you said, it's so deeply embedded already. We don't realize it. I mean, I quite enjoy the fact that uh, Google finishes my conversations for me when I'm typing out emails. On the it's, contrary, I find that so intrusive is that it? I almost forget to hit the tap button. Mm -hmm. and, like, I'll just wipe off the whole thing and say what I want to say. So, <laughs> I, I actually like it, you know, because so many of my emails are like, okay, I'll take a look at it or noted or whatever. And especially on my phone, when it suggests uh, a response, I can just swipe on the screen and accept that response. I really appreciate it. But then when you take a step back and think about it, this, there's this thing sitting on some server somewhere which is listening to all my conversations and actually helping me craft responses, which is so scary. And, uh, you know, there is a line which I think we have already crossed <laughs> because like you said, we interact so much with uh, bots. I just have my Mac on and I'm having a conversation with somebody and suddenly Siri pops up and responds to something. It might not be relevant, but it's listening, right? Um, so the way this is going is totally scary. I don't uh, have a read on the tea leaves yet. But I am uh, in for the ride right now. <laughs> so we do have a chatbot on our website. We are building sites. We are building things where we are we're integrating bots into everything we do. And uh, voice, as we know it, is becoming a bigger part of uh, everything. Whether uh, marketing, uh, you know, podcasts like this, or uh, whether in uh, learning. Um, so voice is going big and all these uh, devices and uh, bots and AI bits are all driven by voice. So I'm just uh, disinterested but scared by standard right now. 
<laughs> it almost sounded like you were going with the flow yes and trying to make peace with it at the same yeah. time i guess well i mean this is a this is an argument i have with my eldest son many times you know um so we didn't realize it but if you look back in history i think the first time somebody created a pen or the first time a camera uh, was used or even if you look back at uh, you know all these devices that we created maybe they were not aided by electricity at that time everything we have done to make our lives easier they have all been devices where we have transferred a little bit of our intelligence into these devices right this is just a natural progression of it i'm sure you know 10 15 20 years down the line so probably people will have microchips embedded in their hearts and brains and hands and i saw one ad i think on some british kind of channel where there's a uh, this chips embedded in the index finger and the thumb and a person is able to do, have a telephone conversation you don't need a phone anymore <laughs> right and this is coming right so um the moment we say this is it and not much i can just see that i'm becoming my dad where you know my dad didn't want to use a cell phone so <laughs> for as long as i can i'm allowed for <laughs> good thing, good thing. Yeah. Because uh, you were saying that, and I was thinking, it's almost can the Nadi Shastras get encoded, yeah. and then these devices, which are on the tips of your fingers, actually transfer all this information to your doctor or your physician. In some sense, yeah, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, and scary, and scary. Yeah. So I think from wearables, we are now going into embeddables, right? And world is your oyster i think when you become an embeddable <laughs> imagine if uh, china embeds i uh, because i recently read one uh, an article about how all huawei uh, software and devices are not suspect because stuff is being sent back to mother china or something like that imagine if china embeds stuff in the prime minister's you know or something like that <laughs> It really can be looking at so looking at so many kind of different worlds itself. Yeah. Or the our world as we know it is uh, changing. It's completely different. Yeah, yeah, a few years. Right. So, what are some of your likes uh, and hobbies that actually keep you going? So there is a scary part in this also. I used to, I knew I was a voracious reader. I think uh, I set an all-time record sometime when I was in high school or college where I read twenty-two books in one day. I used to read very uh, a lot. I was subscribed to like I think four uh, libraries at one time, and everybody who knew me would give me books. You know, I went through phases. I went through a phase where I used to read only classics. I used to devour everything in City Central Library. Then I went through a Milton Bull phase. I went through an Alistair MacLean phase. A lot of fiction and stuff. And that sort of, uh, you know, as the years passed, um, I was reading a lot of non-fiction. Um, so reading has always been a habit of mine. But the, now comes the scary part: is that in the last few years, uh, the reading has gone for a toss. Uh, mainly, I think, okay, clearly Blue exists. It is my fourth child. Uh, but the day has become so bad in terms of schedules and uh, uh, the devices and the distractions and the social media uh, that now I I do try to read on my phone. Uh, but uh, over the last six months, I have consciously uh, cut down my social media to only one uh, per day, which is Twitter. I still like the Twitter jungle, but I have almost uh, cut myself off from Facebook and LinkedIn. I do for professional reasons. And uh, I've gone back to paper books. 
Uh, I find that reading paper books is calming uh, it, and I'm trying to get back into that uh, habit of immersive reading. So reading is a great uh, joy for me. Uh, besides that, I love to travel and uh, travel and reading, I think, are the two big things. Nice. I wish uh, a lot of, I see a lot of people, I think, going back to these kind of uh, time tested and tried. And in some sense, on whatever I heard in our conversation today, uh, navigating through all the chaos, mm-hmm. uh, navigating through the rate of change. Right. And uh, sometimes it's, it's a good thing to take a step back and go back to what you're doing and feeling that sense of calm. Yeah, actually a lot of uh, books I read nowadays are uh, centered around this, how to, I think uh, there, is, there comes a phase in your life where, you know, you start looking inwards and uh, I've been looking at things about how to make myself, it's not like self-improvement in the sense of, you know, how to make friends and not antagonize people, it's more in the sense of how to do deep work, for example, so I read, uh, I think Cal Newport's book on deep work. And I've been reading uh, Neer Ayal, who's uh, this big uh, designer about, you know, he talks a lot about habit-forming products and how people get you hooked on all these different uh, social media, you know, with all the fancy icons, which look like uh, Las Vegas, uh, all those, uh, what do you call them, uh, carousels and things like that. So I've been, uh, and he also advises you on how you can do deep work. How you can shut off all these distractions and actually focus on things. Because um, I think we get so hooked to all this media and technology and get so distracted that if you look back on the last six months and look at it, what did you really achieve? Um, multitasking is not really good for us. For it's, it's actually an impediment for achievement in my opinion. Yeah, I'm trying to get better at <laughs> this goes back to something you said earlier in the conversation, which is about being self-managed. Mm-hmm. So, in some sense, I think looking inward and doing deep work mm-hmm. is also part of your self-management. And I, I'm wondering, you know, you're working in the digital world, you're offering solutions to several kinds of people there, and there's so much chaos in the digital world. So, how do you think this whole thing can be sort of managed better, staying on top of things? almost moving with the times when so many things in the digital world are changing almost overnight. Uh, where does this all in your view come together? I wish I had a ready answer. <laughs> I think I'm in the same boat as probably millions of people around the world. Um, I think the start is first to acknowledge that that we do have this information overload and chaos. And it affects all of us, including our children, uh, you know, all of us, probably the children more than us. Um, it's very uh, disheartening to see kids who have not read. Because uh, reading is, according to me, it really opens up your, the windows of your imagination. If everything is served up to you in visually in a movie, uh, where is the scope for your imagination to take, right? At the same time, we can't isolate people uh, and put them on islets where there's no technology because it's there everywhere now. So, like you said, finding that balance is the tricky part. So, I I can only speak for myself as to what has worked. Like I said, I shut off some of my social media because uh, I think Facebook, for example, I mean, I really enjoyed Facebook for a few years. 
but now it's become a, a thing like you know where you go and say, you know oh, okay i'm sitting here in my office you know typing away somebody's in bali or whatever it's more it makes you more depressed than happy <laughs> although it's a great way to connect i acknowledge uh, so i think limiting your social media in terms of what channels you want to live on and what you don't want to live on which is very true for businesses also because every business does not need to be on every social media channel Uh, you don't want to be on facebook if uh, you are a b2b or maybe you know have a minimal uh, kind of presence so uh, that is the first step and also uh, i think also to see like i said you know with regard to self management for example so businesses need to have like a proper strategy about where they are going and uh, choose the channels choose the messaging be very sharp about all this and execute I think uh, that is the way to go. I don't think I answered your question properly. Yeah, I think this is a fair enough start. And uh, while you were actually talking, I was thinking maybe we'll do more conversation. Okay, okay. We'll probably stitch together a story mm-hmm. or a series of podcasts around making sense of chaos of the digital world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think every business is uh, trying to make sense of it and see what works for them and what doesn't work for them. and uh, in the process many businesses actually lose a lot of money trying to uh, sock money on getting those likes and comments and shares whereas they should probably be uh, spending more time listening to their customers see what customers are saying on different communities and then channel all that feedback back into their product teams and improve the user experience improve the products so there's a way to do it and it may not cost a lot of money so one question that's Coming in my mind as you were saying this, mm-hmm. you became an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Other things that you'd like to share with perhaps people who, I mean, star listeners, mm-hmm. aspire to be entrepreneurs, but just want to listen to an entrepreneur share their story. Anything that you would like to shed light on? Oh, plenty. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, first off, actually, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad was one. His dad was one too, uh, both uh, in different spaces, and then my husband is an entrepreneur. My brother is an entrepreneur. Wow! So it was almost, and my father-in-law too. So it's almost, I suppose, inevitable because I see people uh, all around me in my family uh, leading life on their own terms. That's not to say that entrepreneurship is some glorious kind of thing. It's actually very, very hard. It's a lot of uncertainty. and uh, i think the biggest thing about being an entrepreneur is the self doubt because uh, ultimately everybody is looking at you for answers you may not always have answers and uh, what you plan and what you execute may not always work so it's owning up to you know that responsibility and having to uh, you know they, at the end of the day uh, you know when the first of the month comes you there are so many people you need to pay salaries to so there is a huge responsibility that comes with entrepreneurship uh that being said i have enjoyed the ride so far including all my tussles with uh, you know financial management and all that i was a big zero with finance before i would say i am probably a one on a scale of you know zero to 100 right now but i'm learning and uh, the biggest thing is uh, i because we have set ourselves such a broad canvas to work with we are doing so many things for example we are working on a project right now where we are actually building software a visualization piece uh, for another data driven uh, product 
Um, so we are doing a lot of 3D modeling, we are working with programmers. So at the other end of the spectrum, we are creating content for a portal for doctors. Uh, so we have set ourselves a very broad canvas, we are working with different sets of people, all centered around this core concept of uh, content. So the kind of freedom I have here at Clearly Blue, I probably would never get if I worked uh, outside for somebody else. And um, yes, I mean, I do wish you know, I could make more money, I may in the future, uh, but for now, I'm like totally enjoying the ride for what it is. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Parmada. I hope some listeners, some of our listeners actually take away something from this and are inspired and hopeful. Is there anything, any last things that you would like to leave listeners with? So there's so many different facets to who I am and what I do and I think that's true of almost all of us. So for me actually, beyond being an entrepreneur or beyond being a techie or an ex-techie maybe because I don't hold right now. I think the fact that I'm a mom is the most important thing for me. So, you know, I went to a workshop where they asked us all to stand up and talk about what is the one thing that you're most proud of. Um, so I talked about my kids, so which actually startled quite a few people. So I think for all of us women who are, you know, professionals also. Um, so I think this is a great time to exist. This is a great time to be where... You know, we are coming into our own um, the, our workspace, the workplaces, the marketplaces, more conducive to women entrepreneurs, women leaders, women professionals. And we have to still mold ourselves to the way men work, but it is getting easier. So I'm very hopeful uh, of the future uh, for women, for professionals, for the industry, for India. So, I'm very happy at hopefully. <laughs> That's a nice way to end this conversation. So thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you and I'm looking forward to many, many. Thank you. Thanks, Chitra. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com. There is podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com. Please rate the show on Podchaser, Stitcher, iTunes or any other podcast client that you find us on. Please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show, do write to us at this email address podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.